0: Exploring Chiropractic, episode 52, Chiropractic Development International with Dr. Anthony Nicholson. Welcome back to another episode of Exploring Chiropractic. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Cashin. And in this episode, uh, we head down under and I interview Dr. Anthony Nicholson, who is the CEO of Chiropractic Development International a global continuing education organization for chiropractors, which was co-founded in 2002 in Sydney, Australia. And CDI is the best online continuing ed program that I have found. Dr. Nicholson is also a full-time chiropractic physician in private practice. He is a board-certified chiropractic neurologist and is board-certified in chiropractic orthopedics. He is also an adjunct senior lecturer in neuromusculoskeletal diagnosis and evidence-based practice at Macquarie University in Sydney. In our interview, Dr. Nicholson shares his journey to chiropractic, 4 a.m. study sessions on Sundays, his early recognition of a grand canyon in clinical practice, and why we don't need to explain how the adjustment works to medical professionals. I hope you enjoy this interview with Dr. Anthony Nicholson. Well, I'm excited to learn a little bit more about uh, CDI. What I've known and what I've read has certainly impressed me. Um, but I do want—I do always like to start out just asking you when you were a young kid, what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: Well, I've often thought about that, and to be entirely honest, I'm not—I can't recall being actually sure. Um, I mean, it depends how far I try and go back, but I think I recognized quite early that. I was gravitating towards, you know, more the biological sciences, healthcare, and things like that. I, I developed a bit of a fascination with the brain, I recall, quite early, and just with, you know, sports, performance, well-being, I was, I was, I was pretty active. So uh, I think it was going to be something down that path, but uh, it wasn't really clear to me. Um, I started school quite early here. I'm not quite sure how, how it goes over there but I was I was really four when I started grade one so uh, and I had a very active mind so I was pretty easily distracted by all the usual stuff growing up so so I think the maturity and focus required to sort of apply your mental faculties didn't come until a bit later when I had some clarity but uh, so yeah I think it was going to be something along the lines of health but I, I really didn't have one or you know even two things that you know I knew very early that's what I want to do
0: Yes. Starting at four is quite young for, for the first grade. We start more around five, six. Um, so that's interesting.
1: I think it might've been my mother, uh, thinking he does have a very active mind. So let's, let's, uh, let's get him engaged. I think it was probably that.
0: Did you have any other hobbies as you were growing up that, that you may have at some point considered, uh, turning into a career or profession?
1: Um, well, I mean, I had a, I, I certainly had an interest in swimming. I mean, in fact, I almost became a professional swimmer. Um, uh, I was, you know. Really? Certainly the, the two or three hours in the morning, two or three hours in the afternoon, and, was in. you know, I was always at state and national events and things like that. Um, but then when it really came down to uh, taking that next step, I just didn't – I wasn't really sure that that's what I wanted to devote my life to. So, so it was certainly something sports orientated. I had a great interest in martial arts too when I was, um, you know, in my teenage years and the later years of school. Um, so, uh, you know, and and that may have been, you know, something. It's something again sports like, uh, was w- may have been a pathway, but but uh, no, not really. Other than that,
0: what first exposed you to chiropractic?
1: Well, interesting. I mean, I I grew up with chiropractic. Um, I guess, you know, a common story you hear with chiropractors is that they had some sort of exposure to, I guess, the benefits of chiropractic treatment quite early. And for me, look, it was the same. My mother uh, uh, responded very well to a chiropractor when really nothing else helped her. She, um, you know, had had severe back pain in her early 20s after a trampolining accident uh and you know along huh? the, uh, she yeah trampolining a, a, a belly flop gone wrong as she oh. tells
0: me these days <laughs> the um, gymnastics type of trampolining
1: yeah well
0: uh, yeah or just in a way. playing or just playing in the backyard kind of trampolining. yeah
1: well i think actually i'm not quite sure i think it may have been some sort of school event she was doing okay um but uh yeah so it was a an injury that didn't seem all that severe at the time, but, uh, you know, she had really constant back pain from that point on, which just got more and more severe. Uh, and I guess she was heading for all sorts of invasive procedures and there were all these sorts of things discussed until, you know, I, you know, she ended up seeing a chiropractor for one reason or another and now never went to surgery as now, you know, a very healthy and well 70-year-old. So, so in that respect, I, I, I guess I was exposed to chiropractic early, with all sorts of sports injuries and things naturally she then took me along to see a chiropractor and I always responded well and I always remember uh you know being impressed by just the ability to apply you know place hands on and and, and do so much so it was for me a normal part of growing up um and I, you know, I saw the benefit to my with my family as well so um I guess then when it came to sort of the later years of school, um, it was starting to appeal, I guess, more and more. Um, but I was also leaning heavily really towards medicine as well at that point. Um, the likes of surgery was starting to really appeal. Um, and so it wasn't really till I got out of school that uh, I then, I guess, had to try and decide, you know, be a little bit more firm in my decision. So back at that time, you could do a Bachelor of Science and really would be the start point for both journeys. You could either go into medicine straight out of school or you could uh, do a science degree and then go into a postgraduate stream. So from there, uh, after school, it was I was fairly sure it was going to be something in healthcare at that point. So I thought, look, I'll start a Bachelor of Science and just see what I think, see where that takes me. Um, so... Uh, and then, in which uh, school did
0: you end up going in australia Uh chiropractic? which chiropractic school
1: well there are only yeah. I, I grew up in Brisbane uh, as you may have known from our previous you know interactions and and there there was no chiropractic program in Queensland at that time, so mm-hmm. it was either making the trip to Melbourne or Sydney, so I moved to Sydney uh, and attended Macquarie University their program there um, but even before i mean even before getting to that i I was still really uh, in much of a quandary at the end of that science degree. I was still thinking, all right, do I go towards medicine here or, you know, chiropractic school appeals as well. And so I took a year off to sort of really uh, think about that a little bit more, um, earn some money. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I ended up working for an orthopedics company uh, in Brisbane, actually. Uh, and, they, and they dealt with, you know, prosthetics Um, knee and hip replacements and all those sorts of things. And I was involved in going out and meeting with the surgeons, uh, you know, showing new equipment. And I'd often even scrub up and be in theatre with them. I'd be, you know, many nights I'd be out there late while I finished their lists. And, um, and, and just, you know, I guess dealing with end stage pathology all the time and and the setting and that sort of, that sort of stuff. I, I guess I realized it didn't, that didn't sort of ignite my passions like I thought it might. Um, and so I was really sort of, <laughs> again, with sports and, my, you know, my earlier sort of, you know, school and teenage life was, was thinking more along the lines of performance and, and those sorts of things. So I guess, the, again, then chiropractic started to, started to strongly appeal again. So I ended up making a trip to Sydney to, to Macquarie University.
0: Very interesting. Yeah. So, so the uh, being in the surgery theater uh, for a lot of people, I think kind of has a feeling of glamour and, you know, you're kind of the, the top of the heap, the cream of the crop, but that was an appeal. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Seeing, huh? Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and look, I mean, there's still certainly an appeal there. Uh, definitely. I mean, the ability to help people at that level Um I guess for me, what I I mean at at that point, it was again, it was really a fork in the road, and um, I guess what won out was that appeal at that point of being of being able to place hands on and do so much. I really had quite a strong desire to learn how to do that at that point, um, rather than sort of take that other very long journey. you know, we, towards, you know, surgery. Um, so, yeah, you're right. I, I I I thought when I got that job, I thought, oh, this is, you know, this is perfect. Um, it'll give me an exposure to this and sort of, you know, help me think about it a lot more uh, and decide whether I really want to, you know, go down that track, do, do the entrance exam and sort of, you know, enter sort of that sort of uh, course of study. But uh, really I, I then was – Spending some time with some chiropractors at the time as well, you know, speaking with them, uh, mm-hmm. and just you'd see the patients and, and the, the results they'd get. I mean, at that point, of course, I really had no insight, well, some small insight, but no real insight into the complexity of the journey that that would be either, to be honest. I mean, I hadn't really been exposed to a lot of the controversy and, and all of that uh, mm-hmm. surrounding uh, you know, the profession and the and the politics involved. So, at that point, it was really what do you, what might you enjoy doing more on a daily basis, uh, and what has a stronger appeal. So, I ended up going that way.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. How that um, exposure can really clarify what what's interesting and and what you really want to do. I think, um, you know, I've known a lot of students who are just pretty confident. That's what they want to do. And then they get into it. Uh, and the, like you mentioned, the day-to-day just isn't quite uh, what they expect, especially today in medicine and also in chiropractic, how much charting and documentation has taken over uh, as the biggest um, portion of time spent during the day.
1: Well, I'd also point to, I guess when I look back at it now, I guess in, in, in with, with experience in life comes uh insight looking backward and um i think i've always really uh you know really been a people person i guess i've always mm-hmm. really enjoyed interacting with people and find it very easy to do um and when you really consider what a clinical or interaction involves it's not just the specific physiological effect but it's really on so many levels i mean we're not only uh you know, applying a physical force with healing intent, uh, in terms of just the mechanical parameters of that, but you're really part psychologist. Uh, you're really, you know, you're listening intently. There's an emotional leverage with what we do, uh, a social part, psychological part. So there's really so much to a cl- to a successful clinical interaction, and I think that some people just have uh, are more naturally inclined. Uh, to go down that route versus something that, you know, surgery was really, I mean, obviously highly technical um, and as you say, has that glamour effect. But at the end of the day, you're not really, it, it, it's, it's not, it's a different type of interaction with a patient, I guess is what I'm saying. So I guess yeah, that's the hands-on probably why, in, why we're down uh, that track. <clears throat> it
0: brings in a lot of what are termed contextual effects and just recently Absolutely. I had... Brian Fulton, the author of The Placebo Effect in Manual Therapy on the podcast. Mm-hmm. We had a long discussion about all the biopsychosocial and all of those different aspects mm-hmm. that play into it, including the hands-on. Oh, how, how long have you been in practice now? I've been in practice now 20 years. And at what point did you get involved in education?
1: Uh, not long after graduating, actually. I um, I went back and was a tutor uh, back at the university fairly quickly uh, and that within a few years built into doing some lectures in neurology uh, because I had a special interest in neurology. Um, and so I was then back, you know, lecturing uh, each year and tutoring um, and then that naturally led to, I guess, developing – Programs for practicing chiropractors as well, Um, and very early that was centered around professional communication.
0: And at what point did chiropractic develop international development international um, start? And I and I don't know um, the full structure. If hopefully you can explain just a bit about who's involved and who founded it and all of that.
1: Okay, well, yeah, well, there's a bit of a story there, so I might I might go back. Uh, a little bit on that one. Uh, in my last year of chiropractic school, in the in the, in the final year of the master's degree, um, one of the lecturers there in in preclinical studies that you know, was particularly impressive to me was was Matthew, Matthew Long, who's now my business partner in, in CDI. Uh, and I remember thinking how professional uh, he was in the way he presented, in the way he seemed to practice. Um, And so, you know, the year after I graduated, I teamed up with him in practice. So I started working with him uh, and then, uh, you know, down the line we became partners in the practice and and grew that. And so what we we were focused on initially was I I remember my journey through chiropractic school. Back then it was a very um, – there were, there were two sides to the program, if you like. On one side, it was very pathological, biomedical. I mean, you had to cover off all of the neurology, all of the radiology, all of the orthopedics, pathology, all of that. Um, and then on the other side, uh, you had all the technical skills, um, manipulative technique. And and then, of course, there was all sorts of different philosophies being presented to you by, by uh practicing chiropractors who came into lecture and those sorts of things. But I remember thinking that there was this grand canyon, if you like, in between these two sides, is that when you'd go and see a chiropractor in practice, pathology really wasn't what you were seeing mostly in day-to-day practice. So you weren't seeing someone who had uh, a specific root lesion where you would do a segmental neurological exam and find a find a focal deficit and you were treating that specifically and then the deficit would go. I mean, we do obviously see ridiculous syndromes and things, but I guess if you look at most people's practice, let's call it pain in the frame, um, then for the most part, there isn't a specific pathology in that way. There isn't a named disease. There is pain in the frame. And so mm-hmm. on the other side, you've got all of these techniques, these skills that we're developing. But yet the bigger question was, what are we aiming that at? What are we really doing? So at the time I went through, you were left to sort of fill that framework, if you like, in yourself between the pathological side, because after all, you weren't going to work in a hospital and work like, you know, in, in the, in the scope of practice that a medical doctor would in that area. Um, but on the other side, philosophy, you know, was, you know, you were getting all sorts of different philosophies as to as to what uh, adjustments and manipulation you could achieve. And so you either were really pushed to one side, you were either going to, you know, manipulate and adjust based upon, you know, overall health and well-being and all of these different uh, aspects, or you were going to really be more towards the pathological side, which is really mechanical lower back pain, you know, treating disc protrusions, myofascial syndromes, disc pain, all of that sort of stuff. So it was it was really a, a bit of a confusing time because mm-hmm. you were sold this bigness, if you like, of of what could be done with adjustments, but yet the other side was pathology, and really the evidence was quite limited, and the understanding quite limited back at that time. So I remember, you know, having so many discussions with Matthew and it was wonderful to have someone who I could really cerebrally interact with and we could throw ideas around. And I remember in our early practice, I would, we would meet at 4 a.m. every Sunday morning at the practice and spend several hours just reading looking through research and, and, and trying to understand, look, is, is, this, is there something more than just a peripheral tissue source of back pain here? Why are we seeing certain results? Why are we observing all sorts of other changes take place in these patients? What's really happening? But we don't think it's the simplistic sort of uh, explanations that we've been given in the past. They don't seem plausible so uh, and and nor is it nor can that be presented in a way that just about anyone else would understand it because we were starting to really communicate with local, Medical doctors at that point,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because I remember thinking when I got out of chiropractic school, well, look, I've I've I took this up with vigour. I mean, when I decided to really study chiropractic, I mean, I voraciously read uh, every all of the textbooks, uh, and I considered that I was, you know, had a reasonably strong biomedical knowledge when I left, and so I was really quite dismayed when uh, our contributions or uh, the way we would approach a patient wasn't really given much relevance at all um, by many in the medical profession at that point. And there was very little communication at all, very little collaboration, cooperation, nothing. Um, So at that point, Matthew and I would meet and say, right, okay, well, you know, we can restrict it to just this, or we can try and start explaining a little bit more about what we do here. So, we started to sort of crystallise a, a framework for doing that, and that's really what gave rise to CDI in, in, the, in the first place. Was running professional communication programs: how to communicate uh, with medical professionals, with medical doctors, and how to generate referrals. Um, so it, it really hinged on. It started with communication. <coughs> Excuse me. And I remember. Uh, Thinking at the time that all of the types of marketing that would go on with chiropractors, um, you know, some of it didn't really do us any favors. Uh, I, I frankly think it, you know, degraded our credibility a little bit. And so we started doing the maths on this, uh, and this was quite a while back now. But I, I think in round figures, if I remember correctly, you know, the the math of the day was that, you know, we worked out that. There are around 30,000 medical practitioners in Australia, and this would have been back in the early 2000s. Uh, and and they would each come in average, see around about 20, 27, 30 patients a day. So you're really talking about 800 patient visits a day, let's say. And then if you consider the most common reason that a patient sees their medical practitioner, it's going to be you know, some sort of probably common cold or virus and some sort of pain in the frame. So low back pain, mm-hmm. neck pain. Um, and then we said, well, okay, how many chiropractors have we got here now? And, and, and at that point, there's probably in the order of 4,000 or so, um, maybe a few more. As I said, I've got the exact figures. But what we worked, what we crunched was this that there were 220 to 25, thereabouts, patients per chiropractor per day in Australia seeing oh, their wow. G-car. Right. Now, here was I, someone who had trained heavily in pain in the frame and you know, felt that I could do something meaningful for these patients. And yet here's a group here's the medical profession seeing all these people that need this potentially, but but no referral, no cooperation. So I thought that this was this was, and we felt this was a big gap. And just and if you think about this for a moment, I mean, if one out of those 225, just one per day per chiropractor out of the 225 were referred, I mean, our profession would be busy, very busy, busy we could probably handle if you add in the referral effect of those patients, if right, they experience right. benefit, all of that. So the message we wanted to strongly send was this. If you can start to communicate effectively what you do, uh, then that is the most sustainable way to build a practice over time. Forget about marketing. The best type of marketing is the type that doesn't look like market. It's it's you doing your job at an outstanding level. Just do what you do, communicate it, uh, communicate with the medical doctor just like any other specialist in their field would. So we built programs to teach chiropractors how to write a professional report, a letter, how to document what you do and provide a rationale for the treatment you're providing. Um, And then build referral relationships. So that's, that's where CDI started.
0: That's amazing. That's so interesting. And it um, echoes a lot of what's um, becoming more and more popular now with the primary spine practitioner model uh, that Don Murphy and Michael Schneider and others are, uh, you know, actually have a course now. So, um, yes, I'm familiar Yeah, and I'm sure you're familiar with Scott Haldeman and, and his um, kind of conceiving of that idea. And so it's amazing to hear that that's been going on at least, you know, on on a personal level with you and your business partner for quite a while.
1: Well, exactly. Well, then, so we were doing at first uh, a lot of you know live seminars. We were traveling a lot, um, and uh, at that time. So we so we formed you know CDI, uh, together and then and then again, I guess and then in in what would it would be now? Gee, I'd have to go back and look at the exact years, but uh, eight or nine years ago now, maybe even earlier, because I remember we were, we were one of the the early adopters in terms of online education mm-hmm. for chiropractors. Um, I remember sitting on a plane. With Matthew, we were <laughs> traveling a lot at that stage, and we were doing, we were running seminars in, you know, five cities in Australia, Auckland in New Zealand, Hong Kong. We ran a series, so it meant a lot of weekends away. Um, and at that by that time, what we what we realized was that for chiropractors to effectively communicate, in fact, it was way before that. We realized that the the big need for chiropractors to communicate was actually. Not just the communication skills; they they now needed a really clear clinical framework for understanding what they were doing and and to communicate that. So we really then developed a, a broader range of modules and seminars on all of the the clinical side. So uh, so then I remember saying to Matthew, "Now, if we go, you know, if we if we do this online, um, how are we going to do it? Because how can we get a really effective learning experience online, which at that point was a lot of just pop a PowerPoint series up on the internet. Exactly. Uh, You know, and and, and formal education was really quite didactic. It was topic-based. And I remember thinking, boy, to get an entire synopsis and cover off all of that, the entire scope of practice, put that online, that just seems... A massive undertaking, but then then we sort of realise. Well, hang on, maybe we're looking at this the wrong way. Let's look at the way continuing education takes place in practice. Your day isn't topic based or subject based. It's not like you do shoulders on a Monday and low backs on a Tuesday. That that's you know when you, you the, the the education model at university and and what happens in practice are different. In practice, it is what walks through the door next.
0: Right. right. So My we said to each with... other, we said. My problem with didactic yeah. learning and lecture is that they always tell you, okay, here is the condition and now here yes. are the symptoms and then this is the treatment. But that's not – it's completely the opposite. People walk in and they the, this People jumble People walk in with a problem that you have st- to symptoms. solve, exactly. You start right, with the problem. Right, and then the you have problem. to narrow it down. It's, it's the reverse,
1: exactly, and that's the other main theory or the other main basis for what we did <clears throat> is that if you – your real education starts when you're in practice, let's face it. I mean, because experience is the glue that holds together knowledge. I mean, we, we understand we, we, we understand knowledge now or we, we hold together knowledge based upon patience we've seen with that and we had to solve a problem with it. So, so we said, yes, A, we need to start with the problem because no matter what you learn at university, you can miss silly stuff when you first start out because of that exact reverse process. Someone will walk in with a sore big toe. And you you have to get to gout versus a university say so here's gout it'll often present with a sore big toe so but you mm. already know the answer at that point so so yeah it it it's it's a complete reversal and not only that it's not topic based it's integrating multiple areas of knowledge at the same time you might have to read something on some imaging you might have to you know there'll be a a, a lab report there'll be clinical findings there'll be history so and there might be multiple problems and so what we decided to do was say we need to offer knowledge new knowledge education in the format in which it's to be used immediately you, you can't give people knowledge and they have to refine it themselves uh you know a whole lot of didactic sort of information and then, and then they take that away process it use it. it 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 doesn't really work like that so we said okay what we'll do is we'll turn it on some of some online learning programs and make it a slice of practice as if you were doing an internship. Not, not so much an internship, but if, as if you were doing rotations and you were actually in there yourself. So we did it from a, a, a doctor perspective and we just chose what, work, what walks through the door next. Okay, let's pull the research on this, look at what's the latest evidence say about it, what clinical information do you need, and at each decision point where you need to make a decision or test something, what if you had, you know, some new knowledge and new evidence available to you at that point in time? It's very on-time information. Uh, and so we decided, and Matthew has, you know, his other hobby and interest in life is cinematography and and final pro oh, and video I edited. wanted to get so, to this because yeah you and him would be that, you know the thing so oh much. we
0: I think we would yeah but the <laughs> yeah. thing that, so, set, <clears throat> that stuck out to me so much when I discovered CDI was not just this idea of project based learning which is kind of the the buzzword in education that you're describing um, but the production quality of it um, when I, after I well while I was still an undergrad and then after I graduated um, what I spent a lot of my time doing was presentation design, and mm-hmm. when I watched a few of you know of your presentations, I noticed that it wasn 't you know this classic death by PowerPoint reading line by line by line, um, but you use images and you use um you know questions on the slides rather than just using it as a teleprompter, not to mention the video interviews you have of you know some amazing. Uh, clinicians and educators is really high quality video it's not um, you know it's not just a Skype recording for the most part
1: well exactly and I mean it it is a little bit more time intensive to produce but we thought look we've got to give people an outstanding learning experience on all levels it's got to be uh, exciting to engage with you've got to excite motivate and stimulate your learner so we you know set up a studio at our practice i mean some of them we would do 4 a.m in the morning at my home because it was quiet and you wouldn't get as much road noise outside Uh, but matthew was right into lighting and uh you know outstanding video editing so we would actually get a patient video the patient uh in Often go out to their home or their workplace to make it more realistic. And actually, when they're describing their history, it's like it's, it's, it, the case becomes real. It's like you're dropped into a real case as it's unfolding, as the layers of information are offered. So, uh, you know, and then we, and then we'd move through from symptoms through problem solving, diagnostic thinking, uh, examining the patient. And then at the end, provide also an example piece of communication, here's how you would take the next step here, and that is professionally communicate this to the patient's medical practitioner, to their medical doctor, um, to stimulate, you know, a referral relationship, a cooperative relationship, um, so that you would have this mutual respect for what each other did. Um, And I I think that's ultimately one of the larger goals here is that there really needs to be mutual respect, and I remember uh, this reminds me of a story back at, at the university at one at one point where I was contributing to a forum for students, and uh, and a major frustration there was was when they were first graduating. How do we explain the 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 mechanism of adjustment or manipulation to a medical practitioner? And I said, well, you know, I remember saying at the time, actually, you're going about it the wrong way. That's that's not even the the question we want to ask. Let's ask another question, and that is: uh, first of all, how could you be respected for your diagnostic capacity? Because ultimately, mm. at the end of the day, it's when your knowledge is valued, what you do is trusted. So they need to tr- value what you know, then they will simply trust what you do. I very we very rarely in a in a report now go into great detail as to what's going to be done in terms of manipulation or adjustment. It's when you demonstrate a depth of diagnostic expertise, an ability to make subtle diagnostic distinctions that uh, that that outperforms others because it's your dominant scope of practice, then you are now the trusted person to manage the case. So it's simply a matter of saying this person's a good good candidate for a manual treatment approach. And you're you're just trusted to do that. Like a surgeon is trusted to do things that would be seen as dangerous in the hands of the unskilled. It's the same. So I think it comes down to a bit of a trust issue that needs to first be cleared away by a perceived expertise in in diagnostic competence.
0: I love that. And I think that comes, for me at least, it comes directly back to this idea of, um, of flipping the learning model around because mm-hmm. when we learn um, condition followed by symptoms, followed by, you know, kind of a, um, a recipe of treatment, uh, that doesn't build diagnostic thinking. But when you flip that and you start with, here is the, the picture of a patient and they have these certain symptoms and this is their history, you're forced into that diagnostic thinking Uh, and that pathway gets carved in, in the way your mind works. And it it reminds me of this book I read about survival. Um, and there's a section in there when they, the, the author was, kind of on this survival retreat with a Native American instructor who took him on a hike. And as they were going, they stopped and said, do you see this scat here? What animal did that come from? And they continue walking. And do you see this plant here? Is it edible? And they talk about it and they move on. And do you see these tracks? And they got to a point where he realized he didn't know where they were. And the instructor said, now turn around and tell me, where did we last stop and what did we talk about? And he was able to go backwards and say, oh, yes, we talked about this tracks. So we talked about that plant. We talked about the scat. And by turning around and seeing the path that they had followed, then he knew where he was. And to me, it's very similar when we learn about, um, about conditions and, and all that. We, I think that's why it's taught that way is because for the instructor, it's easy for them to turn around and see the path. And, but they start at the wrong place. They don't allow the learner to go through that process, which I think is so, so important for them to actually be able to um, see the whole picture and see the path and then have that diagnostic Absolutely. thinking. Look, so I, think, I, I, I think that's a great analogy.
1: <clears throat> and one of the analogies we use with, with professionally communicating to a medical doctor is, is revealing your clinical reasoning, your diagnostic thinking. I mean, it's a little bit like maths class back at school. It wasn't enough to get the right answer. You got, a, you got a, some marks for the right answer, but you got a lot of the marks, most of the marks, in fact, for your working. They wanted to see how you arrived at that answer. And, in fact, if your working was solid but you made a silly mistake right at the end and you got the wrong answer, you'd probably still get a lot of the marks. Because it was your reasoning, your problem solving. And I think, <clears throat> and I think this is the, the key part about making the invisible visible is what we do. See, another issue I see and, and one that I, I'm commonly, uh, I guess, responding to back here with students and things is that chiropractic is often seen as synonymous and I hear it mentioned as a treatment. And one of the yes. distinctions I'm careful to make all the time is chiropractic is not a treatment. It's a profession. A profession is a body of knowledge, skills, proven efficacy, education. It's it's expertise across a breadth uh, of uh, of issues or disorders at a depth that outpaces or that that out that outreaches anyone else. So you're defined really by your scope of practice, which is the breadth of conditions that you would have great depth in dealing with, and so. When, when chiropractic, it's, it's important to say that it's a profession because if someone, for example, has, you know, there's some and you see it in the media, there's a reaction to, you know, treatment, then what they'll say is chiropractic is called into question. And I mean, that's mm-hmm. like saying someone has a bad reaction to an antibiotic or some other drug and saying medicine has been called into question today because of this reaction. It, it's generalized instead of being localized to the practitioner level and saying, well, was the diagnosis sound? Was that an appropriate treatment for that person with that condition at that time? And so, instead of being localized, it's generalized. And I and I and I see this is a big problem because we lead with a treatment modality, and therefore the whole profession is reduced down and seen as synonymous with one treatment modality, which quite obviously is is, is ridiculous. And so, and so that, that, that I think is another another big issue we face.
0: I love this. This is really, uh, you know, again, I, I came across CDI based on one blog article, uh, that, that your partner uh, Matthew had written and it just yeah. struck me as, you know, it, it clarified a lot of the thoughts I had. And then I started going through a lot of the course offerings and, and was just so impressed. And now that we're having this discussion, I'm, I'm beginning to put together all the pieces of why. And I, I'd love it if you could just give an overview of what's offered on uh, on CDI for those who who may be looking for some CE. Um, what are the different modules or types mm-hmm. of learning that's there for them?
1: Uh, well, what we try to do um, with the online, especially, is I guess cover off different uh, skill sets and also different levels of of thinking. So, I mean, some people listening to this might think, well, hang on, you know, diagnosing spine pathology is one thing, but but what about all of the other levels we work at? Uh, And I would say with that that we built these online programs really to cover off a range of conceptual levels. So first there are the diagnostic drills which are drills in diagnostic thinking. So it's literally a case of what walks through the door next. Uh, well, figuratively the case, really, what walks through the door next, isn't it the use of the word literal? But but mm-hmm. what walks through the door next, here's a problem to be solved and uh, say it might be hip pain in an adolescent. And so we'll go through a, a, a series of drills as to how you would diagnose that would differentially diagnose that to reach the most likely diagnosis. So those focus on diagnostic acumen, diagnostic skills, uh, rather than really anything comprehensive in management. Then there's the communication drills, which challenge you in terms of, here's a a situation where you might need to communicate with another professional. They can be tricky. Um, You know, we're all faced with tricky situations. Uh, Maybe the patient has... Uh, a disc lesion they're about to see go off and see a neurosurgeon you think it's a contained lesion that it can be managed effectively conservatively Uh, however you've never communicated with this person before they don't know whether or not you know you know you they don't know how much you know and so and you've got to you know write to this person quickly and and put a case forward uh, for managing them um And so or maybe it's another situation where you need to disagree slightly with a diagnosis or something like that. So we challenge you with complex situations uh, and then get you to do a drill in how you would communicate that, and then we run you through an example and show you the strategy and, you know, the thinking behind why we said mention this, don't mention this, this is important information, this isn't. So they're communication drills. And there's obviously a lot of clinical uh, information embedded in those as well. Uh, And then we've got, you know, e-learning episodes, which are more complete video masterclasses, if you like, where we video an actual patient, actual patient, actual patient case, uh, and integrate both of those. How it's how you're diagnosing the condition, and communicating it. Uh, And then so they're they're the three main programs that we have on there: the diagnostic drills, communication drills, and. what we'd call e-learning episodes, um, and then we've got a range of then masterclasses that are our live events recorded, but edited. And what I mean by edited is that we break them down into case-based problem-solving sections, uh, and uh, you know put learning objectives against each one. So it's not just record what we do, but rather break it up into an actual learning. Uh, program as well so we've got a range of those on there as well so at the moment there are more than 250 online hours uh, that can be done mm. uh, and the main thrust in the u.s with that program is on uh board certification so higher credentialing uh, and that's and that's, that's for that's the that's orthopedic
0: the specialty
1: yeah it is for the for board certification uh, in orthopedics uh, which is more sort of along the lines of neuromusculoskeletal medicine rather than just orthopedics. Uh, you can also get some credit towards the forensic uh, board certification as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, so yeah, it it was very much – and I'll go back and I'll just mention a little bit more about the, the levels uh, conceptually. So I guess – uh, let me just get rid of that. My apologies for that. Uh, we, we'd start with so some some of them will focus on uh, you know red flags because if you look at a, at a, at a framework that that might describe the day to day practice of a chiropractor is that obviously first and foremost there is recognizing serious conditions that shouldn't be there and this level and the next one which is Spinal diagnosis, attempting to make the clearest possible diagnosis as to the tissue and lesion or the cause of the patient's pain. Um, We're judged mostly on those two levels because no matter what you think you can do functionally uh, and all all sorts of other meaningful contributions to this patient's quality of life, if we miss a serious pathology or something uh, you know, something goes wrong in terms of a spine diagnosis, then, you know, your credibility is affected. So really our, uh, our value and our credibility is very much judged based upon recognizing sinister problems, ensuring that they are appropriately referred, and also diagnosing at the pathological end, knowing that you've got an uncontained disc protrusion that is likely to cause a progressive neural deficit. If we don't handle that deftly, and professionally, then instantly our credibility is shot, no matter what sort of result you might get with some other things down the line. So we look at, first of all, that, that that step of recognizing serious pathology, then making a diagnosis as to the tissue and lesion. Then we look at, well, now we can access higher levels. If you really earn your stripes there, so to speak, and you demonstrate your diagnostic expertise, then I think your audience, just about any other healthcare professional, is much more open to what you might have to say now about why did the patient end up with this tissue failure to begin with. And that's where we could go, I guess, Nathan, with a whole lot of other discussion as to... Mm you know, what is the nature of what we're treating here? Is it a peripheral tissue and lesion or is it a faulty internal construct in the brain? I mean, there's a, obviously a, a world of neuroscience has opened up for us there. But we really start to look at the proprioceptive impairment side of a persistent spinal problem now, the fact that that annular failure or that facet joint impaction, that recurrent microtrauma of those facet joint tissues might really be now perpetuated by a proprioceptive impairment that the central nervous system is no longer responsive or accurately reporting the position of that joint now and so you're failing to reflexly stabilize it and that has more of course more global ramifications that if once someone starts to activate their pain system over and over again that we now start to sensitize the pain pathways right up into the brain that takes on a psychological dimension. We know that patients now who are in pain lose functional capacity, make poor emotional decisions. It affects their work. It affects their diet. It affects their activity. And it doesn't take too long to get from pain in the frame and some sort of mechanical application to the well-being of this individual. If, if, if you're really using a communication bridge over time with your audience... And I think that's one of the biggest issues that that we see with professional communication is that people try and make a paradigm shift that's too large from some sort of perceived mechanical problem in someone's back. I mean, think about the audience. Uh, You know, someone not in this arena would think, okay, so you're dealing with some sort of tight joint or painful joint and you're now talking about health and well-being. I mean, well, well, how did you even get there? But if we look at the fact that I've just provided a framework through which you could get there but i think we have to be able to be adept skilled at at communicating at all of those levels and i think then what we can really do is start to encapsulate chiropractic practice into something that's much clearer
0: that's great it's such a full spectrum and i've, I've noticed anthony in some of your material that there's a a lot about neurology and i'm curious whether you or matthew um incorporate any of the you know so-called functional or, or chiropractic neurology or is this more of a focus on spinal neurology
1: yeah i mean look i uh i'm board certified in the u.s in neurology so i'm a diplomate of the american chiropractic neurology board um i completed that back in 2006 uh so again, I uh, I mentioned earlier that I had a real interest in neurology and that naturally extended into uh, studying that particular specialty. I was uh, intrigued by the, the higher neurology and neuroscience of what we did. So I took Candel and Schwartz and I read it cover to cover, uh, looked at a lot of clinical neurology uh, and that's where... You know, I came across obviously Scott Haldeman and he was, you know, certainly been a mentor of mine. Uh, I considered at one stage going back and and sort of traveling a similar course to him. Um, but, yeah, so I ended up – I studied the neurology, but I guess I would then bring that more to a very, uh, I guess, core evidence base. Now, what I mean by that is – I guess functional neurology has sort of come with a little bit of, I guess, controversy around that term. Um, uh, I think if you look at where the evidence is going in sensory motor control, for example, um, there is there are multi there are multidisciplinary uh, efforts now to really investigate sensory motor control. Say, for example, after whiplash, where people develop balance disorders, uh, a whole range of things. Um, when their sensory motor control is impaired. And so the neurology in our program is very much along those lines, functional balance disorders, impaired sensory motor control, uh, you know, a, as a basis for ongoing and chronic spine pain. Um, but also uh, also there's obvious extension there to um, other issues bppv um and 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 all of the common things that we would see in day-to-day practice now you can choose to be more and more specialized obviously in neurology uh and be and be dealing with rehabilitating people from uh you know more chronic diseases parkinson's stroke rehab all of that but i think really the That's not the core scope of chiropractic practice. We aim our programs at, uh, you know, core chiropractic practice, everyday stuff, who walks through the door, rather than sort of going off into sort of more, I guess, uh, narrow sort of specialty fields.
0: So I like that you incorporate that, um, but it kind of sounds like you're not trying to replace the chiropractic uh, neurology program, but taking a lot of that uh in in making sure it's it's not just again using a treatment template but understanding it and how it applies to um the most common chiropractic uh conditions absolutely that, that i mean i think
1: i think uh techniques in my view are tools for execution um they're not uh they don't they are the, um, they're the how of treatment, not the why. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not, I don't use them as a sort of a recipe-like model for assessment. I think technique systems, I think, are accumulated observations, uh, you know, of our predecessors uh, and often what, what has happened there is they've made, you know, they've clearly made observations and links between certain clinical features and decisions they'd make in terms of where and what they'd do. Um, but you know, we, we obviously our thrust is much more towards uh, you know understanding mechanisms and and applying reasoning and not and not being restricted by any particular system uh, of, of treatment. And that, that's sometimes why people say, well, look, you didn't really go heavily into exactly what how you how you manage that patient case. And 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 the reason for that is that uh, what we do is quite diverse. There are so many different ways you can get out a problem. And this is why we go through sort of the neurological underpinnings of you know chronic spine pain is that we know, for example, that the specificity model of segmental dysfunction, the, the evidence just isn't there. Mm. There are so many contradictions. Why is it that, you know, I could send a patient to five different chiropractic doctors and they would all choose somewhere different in the spine to treat that patient, yet they might all get results? So what that suggests is that we are not dealing with a specific segmental dysfunction which requires vector reversal of that so-called, you know, mechanical dysfunction in order to achieve a result. In fact, you know, when when you look at where the neuroscience is going now, it's more a case of some sort of faulty internal construct, some sort of impaired or disorganised central representation of that body part. And therefore, you know, is our manipulation, is our adjustment uh, an amplified proprioceptive input you know are we really exploiting an inherent signaling property of the muscle spindle apparatus in which we can amplify the the reporting of joint position back to the brain and change the brain's responsiveness to that region of the spine such that now reflex stabilization improves there's a clearer central representation i mean is that they're the sorts of concepts we see coming through the neuroscience now Um, So I think that's exciting. So I think there's so many ways in which you can now treat a patient. Um, But what defines us, I think, ultimately will be your rationale for treating them, how you're explaining what's wrong and what you're doing. That has to be in line with the latest concepts in terms of what the evidence is saying if we want to be seen as dominating this field and and, and to be seen as leaders of this field, we're at the frontier. We can't be using implausible constructs and explanations. Um, And this is what I I guess has always fascinated me. I mean, you know, people will often say, well, hang on, how are chiropractors unique if we're we're doing this? And once again, I think, well, hang on, are are we asking, let's go back a step and zoom out. It's sort of like if, if you're down at the detail level, I mean, you know, manipulation, if you like, hands-on treatment with healing intent predates all health professions. I mean, Mm -hmm. there, there are depictions in cave paintings and we see the first comprehensive account by Hippocrates two and a half thousand years ago. I mean, if you look at that, he had tables much like the ones you'd see in our practices today. Many of his documented procedures were similar to the manipulation and the adjustments we'd use today. And, and that was synonymous with medicine for the next fifteen or 1,600 years um, was manipulation. I mean, you, you see accounts of Galen, one of the most famous Roman surgeons, uh, describing a patient coming in with tingling in the hand and using manipulation to the cervical spine to treat that. And that was even before an understanding of nerves of any of that. Uh, it was it's quite remarkable so manipulation adjustment therapeutic physical forces with healing intent have, have are not really called into question itself what's what's the issue is the claims made around what it can do and that is what creates the controversy and so i think it's it's what's vital for us now is to really provide the clearest, most robust framework for what it is that we think is wrong and what we are aiming our adjustments at. That, that I think, is, is key. And that that's where our communication has to be first class.
0: Well, I feel like I'm getting a master class right now, so this is amazing. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing all of this with the listeners. One thing I... Th- um, that i want to make sure you know doctors who might be interested in taking some courses understand is whether this is um uh, accredited for continuing education in the states
1: well we um basically now the these programs are really being used for board certification, so credentialing high credentialing and, and studying towards board certification so you will get And that, that's really the only way to access them now is through the University of Bridgeport to study towards becoming board certified. Um, you do, they also do a track C. Uh, in, again, the U, the U.S. is obviously a little bit more complex than Australia. In Australia, we have Mm -hmm. one national registration. We went away from any sort of state based, uh, Registration quite a number of years ago. So in the US, obviously, every, you really got like a little mini profession in every state in some ways, I guess, haven't you? Um, yeah, we do, So yeah. it's accredited in many states for those that allow online uh, education to be, to be, uh, uh, recognized for C. Uh, but that's through the University of Bridgeport. So through their site, you, you, know, you can see, uh, whether, you know, the state you're in will, will accept that. But, but ultimately it is, uh, more now for training towards the the, the higher credentialing.
0: Now, do, to register for for some of these, of course, some of these modules that you have is that I know I can you know log in, create an account on CDI, and there's a way to purchase credits and and all of that. Um, but if I'm in the states, do I need to go through University of Bridgeport yes, to register? Yes, you do.
1: Yeah. So oh, basically, we have okay. we have an agreement with the University of Bridgeport, who we provide the learning programs to the university, and the university then uh, offers those as the neuromusculoskeletal medicine program. So that program involves 250 online hours and 50 live seminar hours, and that gets you to 300 to be elig- eligible to be. Know, to set the board exam. So all of that uh, is then done through the University of Bridgeport. So to access our program now in Australia, um, you know, that's different uh, in Australia and New Zealand. Um, for chiropractors over here, um, you know, you, you do your, your continuing education directly through us. But in the US, uh, all of our programs are through the University of Bridgeport. So anyone interested would would need to go to the University of Bridgeport site um and register with them
0: all right i will uh ask you to send that link to me just so i know i can point sure. people directly to it but i would encourage the listeners to go to cdi and create a free account i believe that's still an option uh, yes you access- can and we have
1: you know as you've seen a range of interviews with experts um mm-hmm. now by that i mean we've interviewed spine surgeons uh and we sit down with them we say look what are the criteria you would use to decide when to operate and when not with a disillusion, with a disprotrusion? And when would you fuse and when would you not? What, what goes through your head? Talk us through it. Um, you know, we might go and see another neurologist about migraine and say, look, you know, what, what, what's your thinking in terms of what medications you prescribe and how you manage migraine sufferers? You know, you know, are there different categories? Do you take different approaches based upon different clinical features? Just what goes through your head? Share that with us. So, you know, th- th- so we we go to a whole range of different experts and get them to share their clinical thinking with us. So that they are, you know, they're friends As a younger
0: practitioner, uh, as someone who's, uh, you know, more recently out of school and getting ready to start, possibly my own practice in a new area. These are great interviews to sit down and, and to learn what questions to ask, because I do want to go around and meet the, um, the GPs, the neurologists, the surgeons. And, and these are the questions that I think clinicians should be asking to be able to learn about uh, the medical colleagues in the area to build that relationship. And so I think that's a really great resource. There's, lots and lots of blog articles that, again, that's how I first found it. And I've read through a few of those and they're so well written and really informative. Um, And there are some previews of a lot of uh, the courses, especially the clinical masterclasses, which again, show um, just how high of a production quality that you guys provide, as well as uh, an insight into what's covered in those um, symposiums and masterclasses. So I really encourage the listeners to go take a look, browse it. Um, I think it's, again, a great resource. Um, I'm thinking, you know, for the new grads, I recommend uh, Don Murphy's Clinical Reasoning and Spine Pain Texts um, as a way to kind of bring everything together. But I think that paired with the articles on your site, as well as some of the online CE, would be One of the most powerful resources I think that uh, new graduates could use to really hone their clinical and diagnostic skills. Um, Thank you so much for what you and your business partner, Matthew Long, have put together. I honestly feel that this is the best quality online CE that is available that I've been able to find. Um, Whereas most online CE is logging in and reading, (laughs) you know, a few thousand words of text which could easily be put into a book or, you know, uh, into audio. Um, I think the format that you use and the effort that you go into making it, making it quality do make it more engaging, uh, and really increase the value that clinicians can get out of it. So thank you so much.
1: Oh, well, look, thank you for noticing us. I think look, that's, that's humbling. And, um, you know, uh, I just hope it, you know, it makes a difference. I think, um, as you say especially with interviews with experts the the reason we did that was to just because you know we're all sort of really responsible for educating ourselves ongoing and um you know without getting these insights and perspectives from you know from from the view of other health professionals uh it can be you know it can be a bit solo in practice uh so i think that we, we, we we tried to make that Sort of accessible as if you went and sort of did it yourself. So, so no, look, thank you. I really, I really appreciate that. It was, uh, it was, very nice for you to ask me to come on and uh, and speak to your listeners.
0: It's been my pleasure. Um, so, for those listening, uh, you can go to cdi.edu.au. It is, of course, uh, in Australia, and uh, browse the website. Take a look at some of the free material. And Dr. Anthony Nicholson, thank you so much for being on Exploring Chiropractic.
1: An absolute pleasure, Nathan. Thank you for having me.
0: And that wraps up my interview with Dr. Anthony Nicholson, CEO of Chiropractic Development International. Uh, had a great time learning more about this neurological focus of chiropractic and uh, how we can do a better job of providing online continuing education. If you like this episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google Play Podcast or Spotify and leave me a review. Give me a few stars at least and uh, tell me what I can do better. Tell me who you would love to have on the show. Head on over to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and everywhere else social media to follow me at Exploring Cairo. And I would love to hear from you. If you head on over to exploringchiropractic.com, there's a contact form, but you can also just send me an email directly to contact at exploringchiropractic.com. And as always, thank you very much for your support and listening to these episodes, and I will talk to you in the next one.